Tessa, it only took the bears two hours. How many of them were there? Welcome to Tessa Watches Lost, Monkey Off My Backlog's second weekly podcast, where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. It's 2022, and we're back to the show that started it all. And by it all, I mean me never having faith in TV shows ever again. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is Tessa, the Sawyer to my Kate. Uh Why do I have to be Sawyer? Well, you read the line in the open, so that's just the way it is. So I signed up to be Sawyer forever? That means you can call me Freckles, though. Eh? Eh? <laughs> Off the rails already. It's a great start to the second season of our Lost Watches podcast when I'm already crossing my arms and making a face. That's how I feel about all of these episodes. In case you're new to Tessa Watches Lost, This is not a rewatch or a recap podcast, nor is it a deep dive. The idea behind this podcast was simple and personal. Hit record and ask the other questions about what we watched that week. This week, we're talking about the first six episodes of season three of Lost, colloquially known as The Pod. Before we go any farther, though, Tessa, is hell being forced to be in a book club with the people you're stranded on an island with? Look, hell is being forced to be in a book club. You're either there by choice or it's hell. The real question is, is the Dharma Initiative dropping wine? Like, is this a book club with wine? I mean, I didn't see any wine at that book club. I know that they were talking about some labyrinthian science fiction work because that was the main complaint of one of the club members that Juliet had picked something that was science fiction-y and opaque. And I I just want to know what she picked. Like, was it Dahlgren? Like, that's that's what I really want to know. And you know what? I'm Team Juliet on this. If it's a book club and members are picking books every week, sometimes you're just going to have to read something that is somebody else's favorite book that you don't like very much, and you're just going to have to smile and, like, maybe just drink some tea instead of saying your dumb opinions. It was Carrie. Wait, was it really Carrie? Yeah. Okay, then I'm really on the side of Juliet. I mean, like, not that Carrie's my favorite book. Like, apparently it's Juliet's favorite book that tells me a lot about her, but... Man, Carrie's a classic. You don't have to like Carrie, but you don't have to go on a whole rant when you know it's somebody else's favorite book. God. I don't even remember the name of that guy, but I feel like I feel like it's Jerry. God, Jerry. No wonder Ben wasn't there. It wasn't because of the book. It was because of you. The pod was an attempt to solve a scheduling complaint. After the first two seasons of Lost, fans made it very, very clear that so many weeks between episodes, back in the day before streaming, you'd watch maybe two episodes and there'd be a break. Three episodes would be a whole month. And then you might have to wait six weeks. In the middle, there'd be reruns, which led to with Desperate Housewives and Lost. Recap shows, Grey's Anatomy did this too. And so the compromise was struck. A full season order. This is the last full 22-plus season of Lost. But for this season, they would break it up into one uninterrupted unspooling of episodes. And then as, a, as an aperitif, if you will, 
six episodes in the fall and then followed by a three-month absence and then the rest of the episodes, as I mentioned. The CW did this, I think, because of COVID-related things with The Flash and Riverdale this year, trying to eventize those five episodes that they did. Lost didn't do that. They took another path. What are your first thoughts on these six episodes? They are universally reviled. There's a lot in this season that's reviled by fans. This is one of those things. What did you think? Oh, good. We're watching the whole season. You know, historically, when studios, writers, producers, showrunners start incorporating fan requests into their show, that generally is a problem. It's like when production inserts itself into the show, which we've actually seen happen on this show before with the deaths of, I just thought, Letty, <laughs> Ana Lucia, <laughs> sorry, Ana Lucia, and, and we're going to see another production thing actually insert itself in this pot of episodes as well. So yeah, to me, this seems very contrived. I, and again, I didn't have to watch Lost in the way that you're describing, I obviously can sit down and watch Lost whenever I want. So maybe it doesn't matter what I think because I get to complain about those six episodes, having never ha- known the pain, the sorrow of having to wait, you know, several weeks for a new episode of Lost. So, you know, whatever. I'm privileged. Whatever. Lost privileged? Anyway. So I dislike this pot of episodes probably just as much as the next person does. They could have done something really cool with it. I was actually kind of excited when you told me this was a pod because I'm not anti-pod storytelling on television. Sometimes when it is done very well, it works. If you can tell a self-contained story in six episodes, like... Sometimes that's a lot better than even 20 episodes of storytelling. They could have done something cool with it, like, I don't know, told the same event from different views of the characters on different parts of the island. Or they could have, I don't know, focused on one set of characters going through something like Jack and Kate and Sawyer meeting the others. That could have been a six-episode story. They could have told the story of the others in six episodes. They could have told a story about the beach in six episodes. Whatever. It could have been really interesting. But instead, they chose to just do part of a season in six episodes. Like, there's no self-contained storyline. This just feels like more lost, except for it's almost more fragmented because they're trying to do too many characters over the six episodes. They're trying to squeeze everything into six episodes instead of just saying, we're doing six episodes, let's tell a good story. Two corrections to what I said just a moment ago. Nothing on Lost is universally liked or reviled. You will find somebody who thinks the pod was great. They are wrong. They probably also like the end of the show. And then the second thing is, season three has some of the best stuff in it. I don't want you to think it's a bad season. It's a good season that has some bad things in it. In this pod of episodes, most of the action features Jack, Sawyer, and Kate, who were taken captive at the end of season two. So let's start with Jack, who has a new friend. Juliet. You're on Team Juliet in the book club debate, but do we do we like our new new character alert here? I mean, she's fine. I I mean, she's morally ambiguous like the rest of the characters on this show. We talked 
during our conversation, during our set of episodes on season two, we talked about how all these characters are really along a spectrum of gray, right? These are shades of gray characters. Some of them are closer to the darker gray end of the scale. Some of them are closer to the lighter gray end of the scale. And I think what this show has done really well is move those characters up and down that scale. The more we learn about them, the more they shift either towards the lighter end of the scale or the darker end of the scale. Juliet, for right now, when we, okay, when we're introduced to her, she's kind of in the middle of the scale because she's one of the others, already a bad start, but we're given a bunch of nuance to her. We see her crying at the very, in fact, the first image of the season is her crying right before the book club, right? Which indicates that perhaps she's very unhappy, question mark, with life in the other's village. Or, you know, something else is going on. She bonds immediately with Jack, although it's revealed later that perhaps she was picked to bond fairly immediately with Jack. She seems rather kind to him. She seems well-educated. She seems at odd with Ben, who is definitely more down the evil end of the scale than she is. It's really easy to like her. However, one of the things that she asks Jack to do in the last couple of episodes of the pod is definitely not morally on the side of right. In fact, it's something that I very much disagree with. That is very problematic to me. That pushes her further down the scale. It's really hard to tell if she's actually on the side of Jack or if she is manipulating Jack just as much as Ben is. So you don't know. In this group of episodes, we find out a lot more about the others. That is one thing that starts to develop a little bit more than it has previously. We're not going to talk about them today because we have plenty of things to talk about, ironically. But I think the third season of Lost is when Jeff Jensen's recaps for Entertainment Weekly, which are the stuff of legends, begin to really spin up. And I read you his theory about the others from his episode one recap. Ignoring that, what are your thoughts about the others based on this pod? Well, one of the things I really liked about his recap, because I had thought it before you read me the recap, and then I was like, this makes more sense now, is the idea that these others are a remnant of the Dharma Initiative and that they are just as stuck as Jack and the crew on the plane. They know the island, or islands, as we discover, a little bit better than Jack and the people on the plane because they've been living there for longer. Ben does say that he has connections with the outside world, and we do see, like, the television or whatever. I am not convinced. I am not convinced that they actually have connections with the outside world. They are very manipulative people, and so I feel like they know how to make themselves seem like they're more powerful than they actually are. However, even if they do have some kind of tie to the outside world, nothing about their where they're living, nothing about the way that they're operating tells me that they are actually a group of people who are under control of another group of people on the outside. This seems like these people were dropped off here to perform some kind of B.F. Skinner experiment and were left here or were abandoned and they're either trying to continue the experiment, trying to survive. Maybe they're at odds with each other. The Jeff Jensen thing goes into a lot more detail on that. 
But I really like the idea that these are people who are perhaps trying to continue a mission that has since been abandoned by the, the mothership, the parent company. But man, the Red Sox went in the World Series, huh? That was that was fun. I mean, it was a really effective reveal. Like, that was really good. Jack's saying you could have told me anything that would have made me believe you except for the Red Sox winning and then the TV gets wheeled out. That was all great. I'm just not completely sure I believe them because I think that if they really were part of the Dharma Initiative, more of these stations would be up and running. And they wouldn't seem so derelict. Because remember the whole, like, the tube that goes nowhere? I just, I don't think any of that would exist. And I think that they'd be working out of places that were a little bit more sophisticated. So either they've been abandoned by the parent company or some sort of B.F. Skinner-like experiment is being perpetrated upon them. So overall, this is a really strange vibe and we don't know how it's going to play out. Which is a great thing that you want to see. You want, in a self-contained pod of episodes, you want to have no conclusion for anything whatsoever, right? Boo! Now, the opposite of boo, hey guys, we've gotten to the part of the show where Kate and Sawyer are officially an item. I will revoke your air horn privileges. Oh, we have fun. We have fun on this, um, this podcast, this pod about a pod. How does it feel to be so completely wrong, to have your OTP ship just so completely destroyed? It feels bad. feels bad, man. It feels bad. I think part of that's because Sawyer, although he has grown on me in terms of a comedic character, he has not grown on me in terms of a romantic character. And I don't mean that in a he'd be a bad boyfriend. I like plenty of characters who would be bad boyfriends, okay? I watched almost all of Supernatural. I understand. But I just, there's just something about him and his inability to like communicate or do anything without a joke. And I don't know. I understand why they love each other and they finally do say I love you and they finally have sex in a cage, which is hot and kinky and whatever. But I just don't think, I don't know, I just don't feel it the same way that I feel Kate and Jack. And you seem to imply to me that perhaps Kate and Jack are never going to happen, and that's sad. But also, Jack kind of took a tumble in my estimation during this (laughs) set of episodes, so maybe that's not the worst thing either. Ugh, I don't know, like, happy and sad at the same time? So, let's stay with Sawyer for a little bit. Uh, and you mentioned the cage just a second ago. Sawyer learns how to get fish biscuits. Does that make him smarter than the average bear? I mean, I think it puts him maybe on par with the average bear. Well, it depends on how you define smart. If you mean intelligence, probably. Like problem-solving intelligence, probably. Emotional intelligence, I'd take the bear any day. These series of episodes with Sawyer also invite us to ask... Has the Dharma Initiative done proper IRB clearance for their experiments on Sawyer? Because not only does he get the electroshock from the, the, the fish biscuit button, he also has this weird, we're going to tell you there's a pacemaker in your chest and there isn't, and if you say anything about it, we'll kill Kate but there's not really a pacemaker in your chest and we're probably not going to kill Kate. And 
I don't know. What's up with that? Is it wrong if I say an overwhelming sense of relief that that bunny was okay? No, fine. Like, I was, like, so happy, because I, as you know, dear listeners, I hate any kind of animal peril. There is a bit of animal peril in this. I hated it. It made me feel bad. But then Ben pulls the bunny out of his, like, little satchel. (laughs) And I was like, yay, the bunny's okay. I mean, the point of this episode is that all Sawyer knows how to do is con. We get the flashbacks with him in prison, and he has to run a con scheme in order to get time knocked off of his sentence to figure out where this guy has hidden his money. Honestly, this whole storyline only had one point. The rest of it felt like it was treading water. Then the point was Sawyer has a daughter out there, so he's a good guy, actually, because he had all that money put into an account for his daughter. This is very masculine storytelling, right? Like, women make men better, and you must be a good person when you have a daughter, right? But I have a daughter. I must be a feminist. Anyway, I did appreciate, though, the actual island portion of this storyline about Sawyer because we get a little body horror. And Lost does really well when it goes into genre. When it, when it makes its turn into genre storytelling in their episodes, like horror, we've talked about Rosemary's Baby and The Shining in season two, it works for them. And genuinely, the idea of the pacemaker and the way that they trick Sawyer into thinking that it's happening is horrific. Like, it feels so tense every time that that watch speeds up, every time that Ben, like, cackles at him over his inability to move very fast, his quiet despair because he can't tell Kate, but he looks truly, truly beaten. And at the beginning of the next episode, he looks truly beaten. And the only reason that Ben tells him that they did it is basically, like, a animal establishing dominance over him by peeing on him like the idea is that a con man only respects you when you get conned so they're ju- they just did it to break sawyer's spirit like that is some messed up stuff man i think it's funny that you mentioned that masculine story telling of of women make men better because we have uh, a kate flashback in the episode titled I Do, where Captain Tight Pants makes Kate better, or at least potentially makes her better. So first of all, that's a, that's a fun cameo in this episode from Nathan Fillion. Does this tell us anything new about Kate? I mean, Kate's storyline, I think, is heartbreaking because she's not allowed to settle down, right? Like, if Sawyer can't help himself, he can't help but get into trouble, Kate is constantly trying to get out of trouble, right? She kills her stepfather, real father, however you want to sort the biologicalness of that out, because she's trying to protect her mother, right? She doesn't have any kind of legal recourse, and so she kills him. Ever after that event, she is trying to get out of trouble. She is trying to have a normal life, to be happy, and the law won't let her. Her story is an ACAB story, my friends. Because we get to see the marshal again, and his, like, long-running cop versus villain type of exchange with her on the phone and he basically says if you could stay I won't catch you I will just leave you alone we all know that's a lie 
We all know that's a lie, and she knows it, which is why she leaves him, because she doesn't want him to get caught up in her mess. I I just, I honestly think that she could have been happy with that dude, but she never got the chance. I think this is a good spot to point out that we are not finished with the new season of Dexter, so I don't know if Dexter's going to get what Kate got, but I do know that this story took place in Miami. Hey, hey. I do have a question, though. Is Kate still married? If she abandons him for a certain amount of time, can he get divorced or annulled? Like, what's the situation there? Well, they're dead. Right? Like, how long do you, how long does it have to go for them to be presumed dead in the eyes of the law based on the fact that they crashed over the ocean? I mean, that would kind of take care of itself, right? Yeah, but that's assuming that the identity that she's on the plane is the same identity she married him under. Or maybe he could sue her for fraud because she used, like, or I'm sorry, sue for divorce via fraud or by means of fraud because she used an alias on, like, the marriage certificate or whatever. Sure. Evangeline Lilly submitted this episode for Emmy contention, by the way. Now, speaking of Emmy contention, Matthew Fox submitted the premiere episode, A Tale of Two Cities, for Emmy contention. And this features Jack's flashback where I I just stalk her much. I don't understand this character development. Like, honestly, I mean, I do, because I think what they're trying to say through this set of episodes is that none of these people are as good as we want them to be. Like, like you, you mentioned that. This the one possible theme of this pod is that everybody has done something terrible in their lives. Like these are all the worst moments of all of these characters. I don't know if that actually holds true throughout the six episodes, but it definitely holds true for Jack and for Sun, which we'll talk about later, I assume. The only explanation I have for this is that it's the nice guys that you have to watch out for, perhaps. Like somebody who thinks that they're a good person can do can can treat women in this way that's very possessive, very predatory in some ways, because he's obsessed with finding out why his wife left him, and he fixates on the person that she left him for, and so she, he starts stalking her, berating her, berating other people in his life. Briefly, he thinks that it's his father that she left him for. Like, he acts very much like a person in the middle of a breakdown, and I know that divorce is hard, and I know that people have a lot of issues when they get a divorce, but this doesn't seem like, this came out of left field for me. I was not expecting him to act this way because the Jack that I saw last when his wife left him knew why his wife left him. She left him because he worked all the time and he knew that and he was about to cheat on her anyway. So for me, this just seemed very strange. This is very strange storytelling and I'm not even completely sure why we told this story because as far as I can tell, it doesn't really have any impact on the rest of the show. Other than the evolving relationship between Sawyer and Kate, there is a main story being told in these pod of episodes and we've we've briefly kind of danced around it but so let's let's talk about it ben has we are led to believe a giant tumor on his back on his spine if you will well what luck that a spinal surgeon is one of the the castaways one of the losties so 
Ben wants Jack to operate on him, and Kate and Sawyer are essentially leverage. And so when Jack finds out that Kate and Sawyer are, you know, doing it cage style, he says, I'll do it, but only to assure their safety, which leads us to, like, a hostage standoff during surgery. Like I said, this was around the time when Grays was starting out, too, so I don't know if we just had to one-up them or what. I don't know. I can't remember if Kyle Chandler shows up in Lost. I don't remember. Anyway, and then we're just left with a cliffhanger. None of this is resolved. But this whole surgery cancer thing, is that anything for you? If this was the main storyline, why did we have to talk about everyone else in this episode? <laughs> I guess, or in this set of episodes, I should say. I guess that's my main problem with that. Two things. One, this is the biggest evidence that I can see for someone even even higher up pulling the strings because I feel like we're we're led to believe that it's Desmond who brings down the plane, right? Accidentally. The beginning scene of this season tells us that Ben and the others did not know that the plane were go- was going down because they see it go down and they immediately spring into action. You know, they tell Ethan and whatever the other guy is with the tailies, like, go, you know, pretend that you're one of them, get all your information, make lists, whatever it is that they're trying to do, right? But it does seem awful coincidental that Ben has a spinal tumor and that a spinal surgeon, which there aren't many of those, you know, would just fall out of the sky. So to me, that feels like perhaps maybe somebody else brought the plane down. Like if there is some kind of experiment being done and the others are part of it without them knowing that this would be another move in that experiment. I don't know. I find that to be very interesting. The other thing is. I've watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy. This definitely goes against the Hippocratic Oath. (laughs) Like, I, this made me feel weird. I didn't like this. And I get that maybe this was the only option that Jack had. (sighs) I don't like this. Meredith Grey wouldn't have done this. She would have called the the universe down on them. But I don't think she would have done this. You know, season three really does take some big swings later. Oh, man. Oh, oh. We're going to get punched in the feelings this season, repeatedly. It's just that these episodes are so lousy. Season three started off so poorly. You know, at the beginning of the pod, we are led to believe it's going to be all others, all Jack, Sawyer, and Kate all the time. And frankly, it should have been that. As I've told you, this shouldn't have been a cliffhanger. The story should have been completely told and resolved. And we should never have seen anybody else on the island. But we did. So, meanwhile... So I want to start off with what you alluded to about production causing on-screen things to happen. So, at the beginning of Season 3, at the beginning of production for Season 3, Adewale Akini Abaji... Triple A decided he did not want to be on the show anymore. He was not comfortable with island life. So, three Tailies gone. Bernard's the only one we're left with. And I, I'm not trying to, like, denigrate Bernard, but come on, man. Now, what was it all for? What, what, well, see, that's part of what happened. What was it all for? Who knows? We do get one more Mr. Echo flashback. We do get. 
what could be construed as closure, hastily put together closure on his story. So in The Cost of Living, Mr. Echo deconsecrates a church. Does that fit in the kind of theme about flashbacks that we're talking about? Or I I don't know. What can we say about Mr. Echo in his swan song? See, if we're going to say worst things that people have ever done, I'm pretty sure Mr. Echo as a warlord probably did worse things than deconsecrate a church while trying to defend a community. Like, that doesn't actually fit with the theme of this. This also felt like it was undoing all of the work that AAA and the writers had done with Mr. Echo. Mr. Echo was one of the most interesting characters on this show. He was so morally complicated, and the interplay between the pragmatism of him being a warlord and him understanding all of the bad things that he had done and his religious pull as well, represented by his brother, that was all really interesting. And it seemed like it worked pretty well together, that tension, that conflict that he had. Uh, plus, we get to see him like con- sort of control the smoke monster or see the smoke monster. This just undid all of that. I mean, we get him saying this whole we, the, the speech at the end where he says, I'm not sorry for any of it. Like, I did all of this because I had to. That was interesting. That could have been a really interesting thing that the character said before continuing on this journey of like understanding himself. But instead, we get him like mauled by polar bears and then killed by the smoke monster. And it just, like you said, what was it all for? Like, we went through this whole thing with the Tailies, and now they're all gone because of production stuff. And, like, that just, when you develop a bunch of characters and then say, JK, they don't matter, it just does nothing for me. Like, nothing about the storyline added anything to the show. Frankly, this character deserved better. I know that they had their hands tied, but I would have loved to have seen him go, if he had to go, I would have loved to actually see him go out doing something cool or, like, protecting the people at the beach from something or something that developed the mythos of the show more, perhaps like the smoke monster. I don't know. None of this, this all seemed very messy. It seemed hastily put together and it didn't do justice to the character or to the mystery of the show. So watching through this, this is my second time. I think I've mentioned that before watching through the show, knowing how things evolve on this show retroactively i love what happened here with echo and the smoke monster i understand what they were doing it makes complete sense and you know what good job except if you need three to four seasons for your baffling decision to pay off when none of your other baffling decisions pay off maybe that's not good so i don't know props but overall boo Boo earns. Um, so we started at the top. We've mentioned it a couple of times that production issues, things behind the camera affected what happened in front of the camera. We had the pod. We had Mr. Echo dying. It is now time to talk about the third main thing that production caused this season some fan feedback. You want to talk about storylines that don't matter? We're going to talk about everybody's favorite characters, Nikki and Paolo. Tessa, Nikki and Paolo. 
beloved characters by all. The the people who were there the whole time, Tessa, they were there the whole time. They were characters. They had agency the whole time, Tessa. Shame on you for not noticing them. Please stop. You're hurting me. <laughs> I like the idea of seeing some of the inner lives of the background characters, I'm going to call them, because, yes, they are usually in the background until one of them has a line like art, arts, poor arts, R.I.P. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what was the point? None of this matters. I mean, there it is very funny. The only thing that was good was that the scene where they're in the, is it the Pearl Station? And Locke, so Locke takes Desmond and a few of the others to the Pearl Station. Saeed is trying to fix the, the computer or the screen or whatever. And Nikki watches the whole tape. And then she's just like, well, what are these other screens for? And it's, it, that, is the, that is the funniest thing that has ever happened on this show. Especially because then Locke looks up and he's like, well, now I feel dumb. Like, <laughs> that was funny. The rest of it did not matter. I do not care about these characters. They don't do anything on this set of episodes that makes me care about them. It just seemed like, oh, we're going to shoehorn in two more characters because that's what the fans want. If they had done this and they'd actually made me care about these characters and actually implicated them in the main story in some way, I probably would have had a different reaction to this. But no, they just, they're kind of there. They just kind of complain a little bit and then say something funny. And Paolo doesn't even do that. We're having a good time with Nikki and Paolo. We'll talk about them more later. Let's go back to some more main characters that we actually do care about. Sun is a murderer, y'all. But only because she accidentally kills Colleen. But she did. Tessa's really excited to talk about Sun the murderer. I am going to talk about Sun the murderer, but to go back to what you said earlier about how this pot of episodes really should have been a complete storyline of Kate, Jack, and Sawyer sees the others, or goes to the others, whatever. One of the, the only thing that happens in this pot of episodes with the other characters that affects Kate, Sawyer, and Jack is Sun killing this other because her husband becomes enraged and wants to kill Sawyer. That is the only thing from the outside that actually does affect that storyline. Wouldn't, wouldn't it have been interesting if that had happened off screen oh. and we didn't know who had killed that person for six episodes? Wouldn't it have been interesting to then learn after the pod was over that Sun had killed this person in a flashback? That would have been awesome. And, you know, the thing about this, this is, is at the end of the season, what are these three people on this boat? What, what's going to happen to them? What role do they? Well, they don't. You know, Sun just incidentally kills somebody to make somebody else mad. And then he hits Sawyer a lot. Which, granted, <laughs> funny. But it doesn't really do anything plot-wise. They get back, and it really didn't matter at the end of the day what had happened. But let's talk a little bit about their flashback episode, Sun and Jin's flashback episode, The Glass Ballerina. Daniel Day Kim and Sun Jin Kim both submitted this episode for Emmy contention. And we get... If if the theme of these set of flashbacks is morality in not a positive way, I think it bears out in these episodes, especially for for Jin, although reluctantly maybe. 
One for Sun, too, because she told us last season when she was assuring Jin that the island had, like, cured his infertility, that she had never been with anybody else. And yet we see her in bed with her former boyfriend who had been teaching her English. Maybe they didn't have, like, full-on, like, baby-making sex. That's literally the only thing I can think of where she's not lying. Full-on baby-making sex. Yeah. I don't want to call that sex because obviously, like, it is sex, but not everybody has sex that way. Anyway, you get my point. I really love both of these characters, and I really like episodes where we see their marriage together, but I actually really don't like the fact that they have to share flashbacks all the time. I really wish that we could just have some set of flashbacks that focused on Sun. She doesn't get enough screen time. She's a great actress. As much as I love Daniel Day Kim, we could have flashbacks that just focused on him. Like, that'd be fine, too. But this episode tells us at the very beginning when we see a very young son lie to her father about breaking a glass ballerina and tells him that the maid did it. And that is supposed to tell us that son is not a good person. Because even though she's a child and we can talk about how child, children sometimes do really bad things because they're afraid. She's obviously afraid of her father who is an abusive person and a bad person. And... Sometimes, and, and the tragedy is that they can't take it back because that's all they knew how to do. This is supposed to tell us that she cares more about herself, her safety, and perhaps the safety of those that she cares about, like Jin, than she does about other people. Especially, there's a class thing going on here. I'm not exactly sure what it is yet, but I have a feeling it's going to be developed a little bit more. We also find out, shockingly, that both her and Jin are somewhat responsible for the suicide of her ex-boyfriend. I was not expecting that. I really wasn't. And, like, her father is kind of the worst. I mean, we already knew that, but God. Is there anything else you want to say about Sun, Jin, and Saeed? Saeed seems like the manic pixie dream mechanic in these six episodes. Like, he's everywhere. Like, He's on the boat, and then they get back to the beach, and then he's in the station helping Locke, and then he's going to go find help find Echo, like Desmond and Echo. Like it's just he's everywhere, and I I really wish that we'd have a Saeed flashback because I like Saeed. I think he's an interesting character instead of him just being like a plot point. Although Jin Sun and Saeed Thruple, it's like this close to happening. There's a scene where he has his hand on both of them, and he says, "I will listen to you more from now on." I really wanted them all to kiss. Tessa, can you read what my notes say right here? Stop trying to make thruples happen. You're the one who said that they were also a thruple, okay? God, I think that the thing that Sun and Jin need in their marriage is a little Saeed. (laughs) Seriously, stop trying to make thruples happen on the shows that we watch for this podcast. God knows what we're going to watch after this, but you're going to try and make a thruple out of that, too. I cannot wait to see what the TNG thruple is. Tired. Love triangles. Wired. Thruples. Okay. Couple more questions here. I think we've covered most everything. Fuck you. (laughs) Locke's sweat lodge. Desmond's premonitions. Hurley's big news. I I mean, like, Ugh. What what's going on there in the, in any of this? Do you have is there anything you want to say about what those people are up to? Okay, I'm going to start with the most interesting and work down to the most gross. So 
Desmond, what's happening with him is fascinating to me. Does he know the future? Is he from the future? Is there time travel in this show? Like, what? I don't have anything more than that. I just find that fascinating. I want to see more Desmond. I want to know more about him and Penny. I want to know more about him on the island and the station and all that stuff. But I really want to know what's going on to him. Did he travel through time? Although I hated that Charlie was like all really possessive of Claire. Come on, Charlie. Anyway. So Hurley comes back and tells them that the others have taken Jack, Sawyer, and Kate and have told them to stay on their side of the island or else. And I love that everybody's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're like, oh, wait, actually, we are going to go help them. Like, I love that they're not going to help them until the end of the pod when they're like, oh, yeah, now we are going to help them. That all seemed very contrived. I do love every interaction between Hurley and Desmond. I love that Hurley is the only one who notices that Desmond may have traveled in time. I appreciate that about her everyone loves Hurley I mean Hurley is the Ringo star of the group (laughs) now for the most gross why do white people keep doing things that are indigenous people's property like sweat lodges no there's not an indigenous person in that episode it's not even an indigenous person who teaches him how to do a sweat lodge the whole thing in X-Files where the indigenous tribe rescues Mulder and like brings him back from the brink of death, like that was bad enough. That was like pretty stereotypically racist. This just doesn't this just cuts out the middleman. This just goes straight to like, "Oh yeah, we appropriated this and this is fine." I did not like that. I did not like it at all. I did not like when Locke said he was going on a spirit journey. And the only interesting thing with Locke right now, besides the fact that he clearly still thinks he's the main character of this, is that he actually demanded to speak to the island, which was great. Like, I think I actually turned to you in the middle of watching this and said, he wants to speak to the manager. It's, it's super fun. It really is. And, and so the, the last flashback to talk about, I don't know how much there is to say about this, but it, Locke's flashback and further instructions does tell us the exigence of the sweat lodge. Locke's in a cult? You know, when this is all over, when we watch the finale, I would really like to like find a YouTube compilation of all of the Locke flashbacks and then just watch them beginning to end because John Locke's life, what a story. Like, he's been through so much. And then he joined a cult. A marijuana cult! A marijuana cult! A marijuana cult, she says. That's that's just great. Oh boy, he does have an arc, and and I've told you that that there are for me like three oh shit moments in this show, and Locke definitely has one of them. I think it's this season. Anything else you want to say about the pod? On the pod? About the pod? I mean, I think we covered most things. I, I don't want to get too in the weeds with like all the stuff that happens with minor characters or anything like that. This was just disappointing. Like when you're sitting there watching something thinking, I know how this could have been better, then that's disappointing, I think. I mean, a lot, like you said, a lot of good things happened during these episodes, but overall, there just wasn't enough attention paid to the overall arc of the six episodes. It just felt like we watched first the first six episodes of a season. It just didn't feel self-contained at all. I am excited, though, to get to the rest of the season. All right, that's it for today. Join us next week for more Tessa Watches Lost. We'll be back to our regular four-episode-per-episode structure. You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9, and you can find Tessa at Suela Tessa.
Until next time. So, like, the hatch blew off your underwear?